This is probably turning into a, like a 12-part series, so I don't want to rush. I hope you don't mind if I don't rush through it. I want to take our time. We've only got about a month left, so we've got about five more lessons, and we've got a lot to cover because I want to land the plane on a very specific spot so that we all can go out knowing what the kingdom of God is. My prayer is that by now, if someone says, what is the kingdom of God? I pray by now you would be able to say, it is the rule and the government of God over the nations, over people, and over the unseen realm. It's God's rule. And so hopefully we've at least established that. Here's last week. I gave it to you again on your worksheet, but let's catch us up so we can all launch at the same launching pad tonight. The methodical ballet, I, I use that term myself, that when you move with God's spirit, it's like a ballet, it's, and I made a couple of jokes about Robin and I dancing. It's us learning to move where God moves, and when God says right, we go right. When he says left, we go left. When he says stop, we stop, and then we go through it together. But this is the thought. The methodical ballet is your faith producing works because you are in perfect step with the Holy Spirit. I think we could say without belaboring too much time on this thought, I think it would be very easy to say that if you want to know whether or not you're walking in full step with the Holy Spirit, there should be fruit in your life. If there's no fruit manifesting, and by fruit we would say peace and contentment and joy and patience, if, if, if it's not manifesting, I think it would be safe to say before we blame the devil, which it's easy to do as a Christian, we would first look at, am I in step with the Spirit of God? For when we are in step with the Spirit, as a husband, as a wife, our life produces the kind of fruit it needs to. Here's where we left off. We looked at the troop, and we said that God, in, in the ballet, these five things are always working in unison and in harmony together. And this was the five things. God's will, which is the mind and the thoughts of God. God's word, meaning there's no way to know the thought unless he verbalizes it for us. And God does verbalize it all through the scripture. God never expects you to know his will without telling you his word, which is why Jesus is called the word. You would never know the mind of God except that Jesus came to expressly show us Hebrews chapter one. It says Jesus is the exact representation of the father. And even Jesus says, if you've seen me, the word, you've seen the father, you know, his thoughts and his will. But in the center, number three is the dust. That everything of the will and the word of God is always moving to the dust. He, he chooses to use us, so we are made of dust. And he breathes into us, number four, and then the end result of this ballet is that God wants glory. God wants his power to be known, his name to be known. And you would think, as we've said, without belaboring the point, that God could do all that without number three. He could do all that without the dust. He could do all that without the humans. But he invites us into it, and he chooses it to use humans, which is amazing. We said this, I'll say it one more time, is that why would God choose such flawed humans that could mess it up? Because he trusts himself, and he trusts his own plan. So if we'll get in his plan, humans are a great asset to move the kingdom forward. It's only when humans get out of faith and get into the flesh, and it's only when humans quit walking with the spirit that things mess up. So for God to establish this plan, and again, it is the entire plan of the Bible. Uh, God, in his will, he creates the earth and he creates all the things in it, but then he pulls Adam and Eve out and gives them a duty to do. So all through scripture, this is it. Here's our verse we landed on last week. We'll pick it up again and then jump into tonight's lesson. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. So I say, walk by the spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. And then this without belaboring this conflict, but they are, they're in conflict with each other so that you cannot do whatever you want. So what we do know is we try to walk with the spirit. We know that it's not always as easy as it sounds. It sounds very romantic. I'll just get with God and follow God and serve God. Sounds great when you preach it, but when you're the one having to walk it out, you're the one having to live it. You're the one having to go through life with it. It is a conflict. It's a war and we have to learn how to war. And then we left off with this thought last week, but I give it to you again. What does the word walk mean? It means to regulate, to progress, and to make due use of opportunities. So when God tells us to walk in the spirit, 
uh, God is saying to us that he wants to regulate our life. He wants our life to progress and he wants to make use of us for his opportunities. God is desiring to use us and this is for a very specific reason. The reason God desires to use a human for his opportunities, it has everything to do with his government. That this, this idea of kingdom government has everything to do with the way God is going to be able to pull this off so that he can trust himself is to establish a law that regulates and progresses so that we have opportunity to serve him. And this is what he says now, Galatians chapter five, verse 18. But if you are led by the spirit, and this is the thinking we left off last week, you're not under the law which is a hard thing to swallow if you're very religious because religious people love rules because rules allow me to see how holy I am in relation to you. And we judge each other. That's why we have rules of who's the holiest in the room. And then do you smoke? Do you drink? Do you have tattoos? And we make rules because rules help us see how we're progressing and how well we're keeping, which would sound really spiritual until Jesus shows up and really lets us know that uh, you can toe the line all you want to, but that doesn't mean you're what God wants you to be. It was the dilemma of Paul when he said, I've kept the law. I'm blameless when it comes to the law and I'm head and shoulders above everybody else. But when I, when I take that and measure it against Christ, it's as of dung to me. It's worthless and it's of no value. And so Paul in writing to the Galatians picks this thought up between the spirit and no law. So the, the key would be the question I leave you in, with, and I think it's a valid question. How can you have any form of rational government without a rule of law? Because the, the, the reality of government is somebody makes the laws and you better obey them. And if you don't, we arrest you. That's how we keep chaos. That's how we keep chaos from ensuing. We make more laws. And the funny thing about it is, I don't know if you, how much you follow politics, but we've been here 200 plus years in America. And we have more laws than we've ever had. They pass them about everything. I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. And I'm sitting up on Capitol Hill. You know, little bill waiting to become a law. Well, we have more laws than we ever have. How many of you think we're better? No, we're no better at all. So I guess God knew that law doesn't really solve much at all. It may help hold down chaos, but God's job, he's not trying to keep chaos at bay. He's trying to change the heart because when the heart is changed, there is no chaos. And when the heart is changed, there needs to be no law because the heart is listening to something bigger than law and it's listening to the voice of the spirit. So, uh, you know, I don't mean to go political here, but we can pass as many laws as we want to pass. We can argue all we want in Congress, but at the end of the day, it's not more laws or less guns or more guns or whatever. Those things may help in one way or another, but it's a condition of the heart that's the problem. So therefore, my belief is if you really want to know what changes the nation, it's not another politician. It's Christians owning their 50 feet that go into the world and say, let me, let me talk to you so your heart can be changed. For when hearts are changed, I love what Garth said. He did a teaching today to the young kids and he said it only took 12 people to turn the world upside down. And then he looked at all these young boys and they're in high school and he says, how many of you are graduating? There were 14 of them. He said, hey, 14 of you can turn the world around. That's literally what can happen when somebody grabs a hold of God, the way God wants to do it. So let's look at Romans 8. This is where it gets interesting. There is therefore now, verse 1 of Romans 8, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, here's where it gets interesting. The law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So what we can say, if we go back to the question, how can you have any form of rational government and not have a law? Maybe it's that we're thinking wrong when we think law. Because typically we think law, we think a rule. If you break a rule, you go to jail or you get in trouble or you get your phone taken or something happens drastically bad when you break the law. So it's not that God does not have a law. It's that his wisdom obviously views law different because he does have a law of the spirit. Good. So it's not that God's letting us off the hook. 
In other words, God's not saying, yeah, you just as long as you love me, go live as chaotic and sloppy as you want to. He's simply letting us know that law is not going to be rules as we think it is, but it's going to be something totally different. It is going to be a methodical walk of intimacy with his spirit. And when you walk intimately with his spirit, it is a law. And by the law, meaning that the spirit becomes the voice of wisdom in your life. And his voice becomes your law. And so that would really challenge, I think, many Christians. Because if you ask Christian, can you hear God? What does he sound like? Many believers don't know. Like, I don't know. Can God talk? No. Yes. What does God sound like? Is that God? Is that me? And then we just kind of randomly stand up and say, well, here's the spirit. You need to listen to his voice and walk with him and talk with him. And, and it's so foreign to a lot of Christians because a lot of Christians have never been introduced to a God that wants to walk with you. They've been introduced to a God that wants to punish you, a God that wants to judge you, a God that's never happy with you. But what I read in the Bible is this word, no condemnation. Well, that's pretty incredible. Well, it's not that there's no condemnation because I let myself off the hook of all my sins. There's no condemnation because I'm moving with the Spirit. And if I'm moving with the spirit, there's no condemnation. So here's the intent of God's kingdom government. The intent, meaning everything God's working toward, that's what I mean by that. Like there's an end goal. The intent of God's kingdom government has never been to squelch you, but to free you. Now here's the thing with that. Free people are dangerous people. Right? And again, political, politics knows that, that freedom is scary. I need you trusting me as the government. And that would be any government. I will pick America because we live here. Any ruling party knows that too much freedom given to the people is, is party to revolution. Because you, you, you get too much power behind you. So what I need to do to rule over you is I need to squelch you. I need to make rules. I need to fence you in. It's kind of like putting a fence around the chickens to keep the wolves away and say, well, they're free range chickens. No, they're not because they're still in a fence. You're just keeping the wolves away and you're telling the chickens they're free. But if you really want to watch freedom, go Google National Geographic, the Sahara Desert or, or the, uh, you know, some... Uh, animal preserve somewhere and go watch a lion eat a zebra and you'll know real quickly as you tear up hearing that little zebra go, that that is the power of freedom it's dangerous and then we tell ourselves let's put them in a zoo so kids can go look at them because we're really protecting and we really say does the lion sitting on top of the rock at Disney World is he much happier than the lion that's truly free and we tell ourselves of course he is he's bringing such joy to the kids at Disney World but was that what he was created for no, the answer is no. He was created to roam free, to eat the animals. He was, but in that, he can get worms and hurt and diseases and killed himself. And he has to fight it out with other male lions who are trying to mate with the women of the, of the, the little tribe. The pride, I should say. So it's dangerous. So what do we do? We create zoos. We put them in. We charge you money. We, we give them food. And then we... We hope when we've charged you $50 to drive by that you're smart enough and you see his little ears. You go, oh, there he is. Because we can barely see them. And then the funny thing is when you really go to a safari, guess who they put in a cage? You. Come on. When you go to a real safari, you're the one in the cage watching them drive by and they go look at those cute little humans they bring all their little kids look at them there they go <laughs> and the question would be would you want me to leave you in that little green truck and throw you food and water every day so all the zebras and lions could come by and see what it was like to be human and you would say no because that's not what it's like to be human yet this same concept is true with God's people 
Because religion doesn't want you free because if you're free, there's too much power. I need you bound. I need you guilty. I need you paying me money. I need you giving me all your offering. I need, I need rules because rules keep us in charge. Rules get the masses together. Because true freedom is scary. Because true freedom is a threat. Until you go, why would freedom be a threat? The only way freedom is a threat is when I'm not walking by the Spirit. The only time freedom is a threat is when other people in the pride of life aren't walking by the Spirit. So the question is not the reason we have to squelch people is because most don't know how to live free. They live by the flesh. So we have to squelch it. We have to make rules. We have to say you shouldn't do these things. So what is God trying to do? This goes back to a few lessons before. He's trying to take me from something to something. God's intent is always to move you from death to life. Now the the sad thing about that is you don't get to life until you die first. And everybody knows to die is painful. It touches fleshly things. It it touches desires. It touches my feelings. so if, if I say to you, I want you to walk by the Spirit and you can be truly free, well, you better know this is why Paul calls it a fight, because really it's not the devil that's the problem, it's myself. Come on. Yes. I'm the problem. That's right. The devil wasn't the problem, in case you wanted to know this, because God booted him out before we were ever made. That's right. So the devil's never been the problem. God just like, knocked him right out of heaven. And won the war before there was ever a human made. So the issue becomes the problem exists in me because I don't like dying to myself. I feel like I'm going to lose something. And so what happens is many people are living in this death realm wondering why they're not truly free and why their life doesn't work and their marriage doesn't work. And And so this all has to do with kingdom government. Because God is trying his best, and this is going to be the challenge tonight. He's trying his best to get me to life. But I find, this is just my years of being in ministry. I find that most, I won't say most, but a lot of people go to life kicking and screaming. I don't want to let go of the stuff. I don't want to let go of me and my feelings and my hurts and my wounds and my, you know, by the time we're our age, many of us have walls up and, and security blankets and things to protect us. You know, if you, if you go back old school, Pink Floyd, all in all, it's another brick in the wall. It's just the longer we've been with God, we're just all bricked up. Just kind of to ourself, introverted. We don't want to be hurt. We don't want to be gossiped about and talked about. And churches are filled with people who love it and left. They loved it, but they, they don't anymore. You will find this generation is fraught with Christians who used to. Well, I used to go to the church. I used to be part of a group. I, and that used to is not because the devil's so big. It's because dying to self is so difficult for us that it's hard to really find a church and a group of people where life just exudes itself. Because in any time that there's life exuding himself, there's probably a bunch of other people in the middle of death. They're having to work it all out. Because it says, what in him we live and move and have our being. It's breathing. It's, it's living. The, the kingdom is, an, is a live and move and have our being. So it's, a, it's breathing. It's why the spirit is the breath. So there's the inhale. <gasps> and that's where everything is exciting. And it's a rush and it's awesome. And then there's the exhale <sighs> where everything's just boring and lifeless. And, <sighs> and so what happens is when we have the exhale and And it doesn't feel like God's anywhere around. People quit and tap out because they're always looking for the constant inhale and it's not the way it is. It's a constant breathing and moving with God through the journey. Here is a scripture in Romans 8. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God sinned by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And he condemns sin in the flesh. Verse 4 of Romans 8. In order that the righteous requirement of the law. See, God never took the requirement away. 
The requirement's still there, but he said the requirement's going to be met fully in us who do not live according to the flesh. And the way the requirement is met, we have to live according to the spirit. So again, I don't want you to think, well, God let me off the hook. He has no expectations for me at all. God has great expectations for you. Great expectations for you to fulfill his will and his intent and his purposes. But all of those requirements were now met in us through Jesus. And now the expectation is, well, Mark, you better live according to the spirit. So when I say there is no law, let's don't, I don't, I just simply mean rules. I don't mean expectations. I mean rules to be right with God. There, those have been satisfied by Jesus. The rules were satisfied. Now this relationship side, this expectation. And here's the strange thing. My belief is the freedom of grace calls me higher than the law. It's a higher lifestyle. And yet we've cheapened grace. We're like, oh, I live by grace and it's kind of like the thing that lets me off the hook. But grace teaches me to say no to sinful behavior. So if I'm, if I'm saying I'm a man of grace, then what I'm actually saying is I'm learning to say no to sin. And so I, I'm going to take you somewhere tonight that I, I pray will challenge you and maybe enlighten you to some things that will um, help your Christian walk. Here's the thought. It's not that God has no law nor expectation upon us. His expectation is life according to the Spirit. That's his expectation. He's all, just to help you out while you fill in the blanks. He's already had 4,000 years of us failing him. You're right. He gives us the rules in the Old Testament. Every time he gives a rule, we break a rule. We're brilliant at it. So why would God think, hey, I, I'm just going to give you more rules? So the answer to the rules, as we've said, is life according to the Spirit. Now, once I get there... I'm going to please God. This is why I said there needs to be no law because if you're living according to the Spirit, you'll always please me. So I don't have to have a rule that says don't get drunk. I just simply need to live according to the Spirit and the Spirit won't let me get drunk. I don't have to say, hey, it might not be good to use the F-bomb so much. Life according to the Spirit will say, Mark, watch your tongue. Because relationship with Him is going to keep me fulfilling all those requirements. All I got to be is in relationship with him. I don't have to worry, man, you shouldn't have talked to that person that way. Don't you know the Bible says, and then we, we say the verse, well, when I'm living according to the Spirit, even if I don't know the Bible verse, the Spirit will quicken something in me to go, oh, I didn't need to do that. I might need to watch. It's called conviction. It's, uh, it's a foreign concept today. <laughs> But it's very much biblical. If there is no law, here's the question, or rules to keep, but there is a law of the Spirit, which is relationship with me. If there's no law, rules to keep, but there, there's a law of the Spirit, which is relationship. Now, here's the, here's the kicker to the question. If God is after relationship with flawed humans, how does God keep chaos from ensuing if he doesn't have a law? Because what do I say about free people? It's chaotic. It's like a naked beach. Everybody free for all, right? A nudist colony. It's like, oh my God, get everybody. No rules. We got to have rules. HOAs. It's why we have HOAs because if we don't, somebody's got a camper in the front yard working on it, messing all of our, our property values up. So we put everybody in a little pen called an HOA and we give them a bunch of rules. So property value, because if I don't have HOAs, we get rednecks that move in and people that work on their cars and animals and donkeys in the backyard and cows. And it's just too chaotic. Now, the reason it's chaos, if you don't know, is because human beings by their very nature are selfish. And the reason I got a donkey in my backyard is none of your business. And the reason I want to work on my RV at three in the morning is none of your business. It's my house, it's my car, and I can do what I want to do with it. Why? Because free people left to themselves are by nature without God's spirit selfish beings. 
So selfish beings, if we don't have a rule of the spirit, they need a rule called the HOA. So the question is, then how does God, without giving me rules, have us down here without being chaotic? Well, you want me to tell you how? He's about to deal with selfishness. Because if we're selfish, chaos ensues. I'm not going to teach on this, but it is a thought if you want to study it deeper. It, it will be a real challenging thought of why Jesus took a towel and washed their feet. Now we say because Jesus wanted to serve them, and that is true. He wanted to show us that the way, way, way up is down, and, and that the greatest among you shall be a servant. All of those things, it, it's absolutely true. But one thing Jesus is teaching us, if you want to eliminate chaos, then you need to learn how to wash the feet of the people in front of you. Because it's very hard to have selfish chaos when you're humble. Right? Now we know this is true with Jesus because by the time he had the opportunity to be selfish, he did not choose it. Because he said, I really don't want to go to the cross, but I will because of you. And then he pointed to his father, the father's will. So even Jesus, who's free, I mean, everybody, he's free. He was free. He's so free that hanging on a cross, he said, well, I could call. Or it was prophesied, he could call a myriad of angels to come get him. He could have said, boys, come get me off here. But he didn't. So what we do know, it is possible to live free, completely free, do the perfect will of God. But the only way that works so that it's not chaos and in the middle of the pain, you pull yourself off the cross is you must die to your will and pick up his will. And that's how it starts working. So as the government of God is to work on planet earth, what we're going to have to ask is, how does it work when we're such selfish people? I mean, it is challenging. If you want to know how selfish you are, get married. It'll teach you real quickly how selfish you really are. And you never even thought you were selfish because your mother picked up your underwear your whole life. And then you get married and your wife says, I'm not your mother. And you go, thank God. And then, then she says, and that means I'm not picking your underwear up. And then you call your mother and go, she won't pick my underwear up. And then mother says, well, I know, honey, I'm just going to pray for her. <laughs> Mama will take care of you, right? But if you want to know how selfish you are, just... Have, have an intention for your life and watch it go bad and watch real quickly how your flesh rises up. So let's try to figure this out tonight. Let's try to understand how does God, maybe the next 30 minutes, how does God pull the government off without it ensuing into chaos? Let's go all the way to Genesis, verse one of chapter one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface. Again, we taught on this, but without belaboring the thought, I do want to give you the thought that God himself started with the Spirit. Uh, and I said that a week ago, that he, and you know if God needs the Spirit within the Godhead, how much more us? So here's what I also know about the Spirit. Out of the spirit comes the fruit of everything God wants. Because the spirit was in verse 2 long before everything started to manifest on earth. And so this intermediator between the will and the word of God is this breath of God that, that makes it happen. So as we go through this, look at what it says now in Genesis 1 toward the end of the chapter. So God created human beings in his own image and in the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them and then God blessed them and said, well, now watch what he's going for. This is his intent. There's the fruitfulness, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. So even God from the very beginning has already invited a flawed, a potentially flawed human. Uh, he has a free will, but God invites him into the government. And the funny thing about it is God invites him into the government knowing that he's going to blow it. 
but God invited them into the government anyway. Now, here's what we can gain from this passage, that anytime you want to talk about God's government, the end result is fruitful multiplication. So if your life is fruitful, you could probably say, well, I'm under the government of God. Things are working. I'm, I'm doing it the way God wanted to. So he says, rain over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Verse 29. And then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant. And I highlighted that in yellow, specifically the word every. I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and, and then highlighted in green, all, all the fruit trees. And I've done that for your food. Don't you love that kind of God? Like God's thought about everything. In other words, you're not going to be hungry. I mean, he's got everything he would want to have. We would say, man, if we were just talking in our lingo, he's got McDonald's there and he's got Chick-fil-A there and he's got pizza there and he's got Mexican food there, about 20 Mexican restaurants. And for those of us that love Whole Foods, he's got 12 of those. Like he's thought about everything. So God, God has in his mind this fruitfulness. But watch, fruitful multiplication Watch what he goes on to say, verse 30. I've given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. And then in the blue, I highlighted this phrase, everything that has life. How many of you think that's a great God? I've given you all the fruit trees, so you're not going to go hungry. I've given you all the seed-bearing plants, so man, you're going to have carrots and all kind of good food. And then also, I just went ahead, just everything that has life in it, man, just enjoy it and be fruitful. Not one law, just nothing but fruit. Complete, happy freedom. So God steps in in verse 15 of Genesis 2. You know the story. God placed the man in a garden to tend to it and watch over it, but the Lord warned him. Now, this is where, this is where it gets interesting. Because remember, we said God is not going for law. God knows that law can destroy everything and it only just gets worse. But watch what God does in verse 16. God warned him, you may. Now when it says he warned him, it doesn't necessarily tell us that it was a law. It was a warning, meaning there lies potential here. Meaning if it's a law that, you know, don't do it and don't and do and don't. So I'm not saying it's not, but I'm saying the way it's presented is this warning that there's this availability out here that you could do this, but I'm going to warn you not to. So this is what he said. You can freely eat of every tree, the fruit of every tree. There it is, all that in the garden. And then 17. And this word except is a critical word except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You eat its fruit, you're sure to die. Now this except word, in other words, 99.9% of this entire planet is yours for freedom, except. Now that exception is what is going to really show me what freedom is. Because remember, if I think freedom is to squelch me, I'm never going to be who God wants me to be. And I don't believe when he put him in the garden that it was like God placing man in a a zoo. I believe man could have the whole earth at his disposal. But there was this exception, this exception to the everything. And I want to give you what that exception is and how it plays out today. I call it God's governing law. That when God starts this thing out, there's a governing law and that governing law is so powerful, God held himself to it and it's so powerful that he holds us to it to this day. Here's the law. Number one, the expectation is the exception. So God has the expectation. So his expectation was the exception, not that tree. Do not eat that tree. That's the expectation. That tree is off limits, and that's my exception. Now, God's exception is his wisdom. So when we talk about the first rule that came, it wasn't a rule. It was wisdom. And the wisdom to us feels like a rule, but remember, a rule squelches you. And wisdom frees you. But when you're selfish, 
Wisdom can feel very much like a squelching rule because we're selfish. It's why when Lucifer tempts Eve, he tempts the exception and the wisdom of God by playing on her emotions and her feelings. Did God really say, oh, she knows you'll be like him? And he reels her in to the point it says, it was pleasing to the eye. True, it was. It was made by God. Of course it's pleasing to the eye. It looked good for food. Absolutely it did. It's a fruit tree created by God. See, I have to quit thinking that the tree of knowledge of good and evil is Satan. The tree of knowledge of good and evil was created by God. So that tree is good. That tree is pleasing to the eye. You think God would make something ugly? That tree is desirous to make one wise. It was created by God in our religion. We've made it in this dirty, evil little tree of this snake in it called Satan. But the tree was made by God. And God took this beautiful tree that was pleasing to the eyes, desirous for the flesh. It has wisdom, has everything. Oh, but the thing about this tree that I made that has all that stuff, don't eat it. So what God did is the way he eliminates chaos is he inserts wisdom. And wisdom will always eliminate chaos. And God's wisdom is what we will find out through scripture is his law. His wisdom is his law. The Ten Commandments we call law, but it was his wisdom to keep them from killing each other. They broke it anyway. But by the time we get to Jesus in the book of Corinthians, Jesus is called the wisdom of God. And he fulfilled all the law of God. So, so the exception to the rule is Jesus Christ. The only way to be saved is him. He's the exception. And that exception is his wisdom, Christ, the power and the wisdom of God. And that wisdom of God is God's law. He doesn't really care what you think. The only way to get to him is through the son. That's his law. It's his wisdom. He's not being rude. Well, I think there should be a thousand ways to him. There are a thousand ways to him. It's just when you get there, you're not approved. Because the only way to get approved once you get there, if you go through a kitty cat or you go through a tree or you go through Mother Earth and you stand up there and go, hey, I found God. All, all roads lead to God. And I'm like, absolutely all roads lead to God. But once you get up there, every road doesn't mean you're approved by God. Because everybody's going to stand in front of him. Whether you go Hindu, Buddha, whether you go Islam or Christianity, everybody will stand in front of a maker. But it's those that came the wisdom way, which, according to Jesus, feels very narrow. Which, according to other people who don't like Jesus, feels very, uh, how shall we put it, very, uh, you know, whatever word we would pick, that we would say, how dare you think your way is the only way? Well, it's because wisdom, it doesn't appeal to selfish humans. If you want to know that truth, raise a kid. Parental wisdom, you just don't need to eat blizzards every day. But I love a blizzard. I know you do. It's pleasing to the flesh. And sometimes the wisdom of a parent to the kid that wants it, it feels like mom's squelching me. But mom's not squelching me. Mom's looking out for me when I'm an adult. So even God built it into our own that the wisdom of a mother and father sometimes to the kid feels like a squelching law. So here's God's governmental wisdom as we come to the New Testament. We find this out. Number one, Jesus is the head of his government. Number two, and the church is his governing body. So if we were going to take our... Nation, we would say that Jesus is the head of the government and the church is Congress. We're the ones that enact the government. And then the governing body, which is the church, is how his life reigns on planet Earth. Is that we, the governing body, which is the church, are how people know the life of God. Now, if this be true, and I'm going to take you through some of this to show you scripturally. So I wanted to give you the three thoughts and then I'll give you the scriptures. 
Jesus, which I've said all along in this kingdom government, everything's working him, is the head of the government. But Jesus needs a body to pull it off, and that's the church from the beginning of time. And the way the world knows God's life is the church rules and reigns. So if you want to mess it up, what do you mess up? Well, you're not going to mess up Jesus. He's the supreme over all. You already tried to take the head out, and he rose back up. So the only thing I have left is the, uh, from the devil is the church. Well, I try my best to mess them up, and they just keep multiplying. They keep going for a thousand years every time I try to kill them off. So I know I can't kill off Christians. They keep coming. They keep showing up every generation and multiplying. So what do I want to do now? I want to take this governing body called the church that I can't do anything about. They keep showing up every generation, believing in the God that I tried to kill. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to mess them up so much that life won't reign through them. So you can still be here. You can do your thing. But life won't come through you. You, you, will, you will not bring glory to God. You will bring glory to yourselves. You will live selfish lives. You will rob people of money. You will rob people of their, their freedoms. You will become religious because Lucifer, our enemy, is smart enough to know, I tried to kill the head, I lost. I tried to take the church out every generation. They keep multiplying. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to infiltrate the camp and destroy the government from within. It's going to be an inside job. And the way I'm going to destroy the government of God is I'm going to destroy the, the people of God. And the way I'm going to destroy the people of God is through selfishness because selfish behavior creates chaos. And where there's envy and chaos and confusion, there's every evil work. So all I have to do is take the governing body and get them confused. I need to just get them angry with each other. Uh, Paul will say this, I think, to the Ephesus church, be careful because they will come like wolves among you. And they will sit in the very houses you sit in and they will weasel them their way in because Paul realized there's no way for Lucifer to take the head. He can only take the individual lives within the body. Here's the scriptures to back all that up. Christ is the visible image, Colossians 1, of the invisible God, and he existed before anything. And I love this. It says, and he is supreme over all creation. Well, if you're supreme over all creation, you're the head. For through him, Colossians 1, 16, Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms. There's those realms I taught you about. And on the earth, there's the, this, this side. There's the unseen world, the heavenly realms, and there's the seen world. The earthly realms. And he made the things we can see and the things we can't. And now here comes all those governing words we've looked at through the weeks. Such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities. And then he tells us where those things are in the unseen world. So here just kind of gives us a scripture that says everything we've been teaching. Like there's this world out there that, that understands government and authority and power and they're all fighting. And it goes on to say everything was created through him and for him. Watch. If everything was created through him and for him, how in God's name did the thrones, the kingdoms, the rulers, and the authorities get in such rebellious chaos by one answer pride pride like when God created watch now everything in the unseen world was created through him and for him so when they first got created like the tree of life or knowledge of good and evil which was a good tree the thrones were good the kingdoms were good the rulers were good and the authorities were good. And they were all in the unseen world bringing glory to God. And then one little imp of a created being in the unseen world called a cherubim named Lucifer decided, and it even says, I think in Isaiah, within himself rose pride. And it was the pride of Lucifer that took all of this stuff that was created for him and turned it against him. So let's never think that just because we're Christians, this thing works. Because a Christian in pride and selfishness 
is a danger to the kingdom of God. Because Lucifer will destroy the people of God through selfish, prideful people. It's just how he works. He even tried it through Jesus. Come on, just eat this stuff. Do, Do your magic, do your powers. He tried it with him. Jesus, verse 17 of Colossians 1, existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Christ, verse 18 of Colossians 1, is the head of what? The head of the church. Now, watch. Not only is he supreme over all the unseen world, he's the head over the church. And where does the church exist? Inside the seen world. So, the church is in the seen world. So the way he rules over the unseen world is he's supreme over all. But the way he rules in the earth is he's head over his body, which he calls the church. He's the beginning. He's supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he's first in everything. So I've given you this, um, this graphic that I put together to try to explain how does the head who is undefeated, supreme over all, Every spirit being has to answer to him. Everything was created for him, by him, through him. And he is called and defined in scripture as the power and the wisdom of God. And he modeled for us how it's to be done because he died to selfish behavior. And when he died to selfish behavior and picked up the will of the father... Because he was willing to be obedient to death, which is a terrible thing, God highly exalted him. Because why? God is never trying to squelch you. He's trying to exalt you. But when you're hanging there dying, it feels squelchy. Squelchy. I like it. I'm going to hang on it. It feels squelchy. When you're bleeding out and everybody's laughing and mocking you, it feels squelchy. How do we know? He says, my God, my God, why? have you forsaken me so what we do know is even the head himself knew that this battle of selfish behavior is critical so now here's what we need to know the head of the body which is me and you the church today that are alive the head had to conquer selfishness that tells me if we are going to see mighty things through our lifetime here I'm going to have to deal with this old boy's selfishness. And oh my goodness. If you just want to know how selfish you are, two things. Go to church with humans and give your money. If you can do both of them, you're, you're, you're far along in life. One is hard enough, but both together. My money? Give it? an offering plate to God this is crazy or other people that I don't like so the question becomes how does God Jesus govern us because we're his body we've said by the spirit the law of the spirit okay that sounds so romantic but make it practical now it's in the practical law of the spirit where it might touch some toes and might get under your nails a little bit, but that'll be good for you. Because there's no way around what I'm about to share with you. It's just scripture, and it forces us to deal with our selfish behaviors. And here it comes. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Who is Christ again? He's the head. So what we're going to learn is how does the head govern the body? Here it is. He gives gifts to the church. Apostles, prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. And their responsibility is to equip, so there's a work to it, God's people to do his work. So there's that kingdom thing. There's that Christ isn't just up there going, I'm just in heaven and y'all have fun down there and I'll come get you one day and just listen to me because I'll talk to you. No, he said, look, I'm going to give gifts to you and these gifts are going to help you humans accomplish the work. And then he goes on just so we know. And this, this, what? These gifts will continue. Say that with me. Yeah, they they hadn't passed away. They, They didn't quit when John died on the Isle of Patmos. The, this will continue. So when people say, well, I think apostles have passed away. 
If you're talking about the original 12, they're dead and gone. But if you're talking about the gifts given, they all continue. And they continue until, until what? Till we all come together in unity. We're nowhere close, so they'll be around a while. Of our faith and knowledge of God's son, that we will be mature. Any, uh, are we mature yet? No. We're probably more immature now than we've ever been. Measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Now, let me ask you a funny question. Would not 2,000 years of doing this, we be mature by now? Would we not just be so stoically dead to self after 2,000 years? Just pure and righteous and holy and walking around the streets with our shadows causing healing to drop on people because the Spirit of God is so mightily upon us that you go into a town and there's not 40 denominations. There's just one big group of people called God's people that all just worship together and just... Ah, we can't have that. We're too selfish. We've got our ways. I don't like women preachers and I don't like tattoos and I don't like music and I don't like, so we build our little factions and that's not necessarily bad, but until we measure up to the full and complete, but here it is, the standard of Christ. So if I want to mess you up, what do I do? I just throw a doctrine in that says, I don't worry. The apostles aren't here anymore and the prophets aren't here, but I think it's really strange that we will get rid of apostles and prophets, but we're really good to keep pastors around. I don't understand. Like, why do you get to pick? If, if, if Jesus picked five, why do you get to eliminate two? Like, no, I never hear anybody go, I just don't believe pastors exist today. They've passed away. And I'm like, what? I just don't believe teachers exist today. I don't believe evangelists exist today. I'm like, every denomination brings an evangelist in once a year. But apostles and prophets, oh, now preacher, those things have passed away. So if I want to ruin the body, I just chunk a doctrine to you as your enemy that you only got three gifts rather than five because I can keep you sick if you don't have all five. I'm going to teach you how they bring you health later in the future. Then you'll no longer be immature if you got these five gifts. You won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of doctrine. In other words, you won't be taken back by a YouTube video. You won't be influenced. Oh my gosh, I just got off YouTube. I've been deep diving down the rabbit hole for hours and I, I'm, I'm so clueless. I don't even know what I believe anymore. The reason we don't know what we believe anymore is YouTube videos have become the apostles and the prophets for us because we've gotten rid of what the role of an apostle and a prophet is. So when people try to trick us with lies that sound clever, we just, that sound like truth. And so I want to mess you up. So how does the head govern? Whether we like it or not, I know some people don't, but... I know, I know people will debate it, but this is my belief. How does the head govern the body? He governs it through apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Whether you like that or not, it's not your wisdom, it's his wisdom. And what that tells me is that every person that is in the body of Christ is going to have to be part of one of these five people that, here's what's weird, human, 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 and human. And just because humans mess it up, it doesn't give me the opportunity to erase this. Well, I think I'm a prophet. Well, I don't think you were wrong. I'm going to erase it. Because I could, I could right now, I could eliminate number two right now very quickly. If you call yourself a prophet and it doesn't come true, we kill you. Kill you. That would shut up about 99.2% of people. And only the real prophets would stand up and say, President Trump. The real ones. Not the people that are trying to get on the gravy train of the newest thing, the newest blood moon, the newest wave to ride, to get people to click their videos. So, but, but just because there's all those weird ones out there doesn't mean that I can just get rid of number two. And just because somebody calls himself apostle so-and-so and has manipulated people out of their money and has started in a cult doesn't mean that I get to just erase apostles. 
So my belief is that this is the wisdom of God and the reason it's so messed up is we inserted our wisdom into it to trump it, to override this. But it is the mind of God and this, and we're going to talk about these in the future lessons. These are the way that God's going to govern. I wrote it down again for you, Ephesians 4.11. Again, the same verse, but highlight different highlights. Now, these are the gifts God gave the church. Here they are. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And their responsibility is to equip who? Are God's people still on planet Earth? If God's people are here, then these gifts still have to be here. Is that true? I mean, that's the way I would read that without trying to go too deep with Greek and all of that. That that if he gave these to equip his people then that would tell me as long as God's people are here, then he's still got a work to do. And as long as he's still got a work to do and his people are here, they're called the church, then these five things must be how he's going to govern my life. And I'll tell you, this is my opinion. It's an opinion, but it's a good one. If you're selfish and fleshly, these people mess you up. I don't need anybody telling me what to do. I'm free. Okay. Okay, so you don't need these. No, I got the Bible. I've got my prayer closet. Okay, good. So you're telling me the head of the church put these out here for us, but you don't need them? No, no. I mean, I can grow on my own. Okay, great. Stupid, but great. I wrote this down in the nicest way without using the word stupid. It does not appear to be the wisdom of God for you to assume you can grow up on your own. Meaning self-governance is usually deceptive. What I can gather by the gifts, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, what I can take away on the surface level of that, at the root of it all, is that God never intended any of his kids to govern themselves. If you don't like that, just turn your kids loose and let them govern themselves. You won't even do it with your kids. I'm going out of town. They're three. I'm going out of town. Y'all just hang out at the house. What? You're calling babysitters. You're like, you give rules to the babysitters. They need to be in bed by nine. They don't need to eat too many Pop-Tarts. Now, if we do that to our own children, how silly for God to think he's just going to leave us down here to govern ourselves. Because we will create a mess when we govern ourselves. All right, here's some more. I got to figure out how does he govern the body? Here we go. But the fruit of the spirit produces this kind of fruit of our lives. Love, joy, peace, patient, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, which is an interesting one. In the middle of what I've been telling you about selfishness, if you ever want to know how to deal with selfishness, it doesn't come by gritting your teeth. Self-control is a fruit of the spirit, which is an oxymoron. Is either the spirit controlling me or myself? Yes. It's the spirit giving you self-control. In other words, there's an aspect of your life where God's not going to jump in, thump you on the head and force you to do anything. He wants it to to resonate out of a relationship where you control yourself. So sitting there going, God, I just need you to help me. And God's like, no, I need you to control yourself. And I'm going to show you how to do that. I'll never forget. I'll be real quick. I'll watch my time. But, But this is the thought. We'll wind it up. When I met Robin, I was coming off of being married four and a half years to Monica who died. And I met Robin and Robin and I, I proposed to her and we made a covenant with each other. And the covenant was, we will not have sexual relations until we get married. We felt like that was biblical. And so we agreed to help each other. Like, hey, if, if I get a little too hot on the collar, help me, I'll help you. And we're like, okay. So we both agreed to that and praise God, we made it. But I want you to think it's too holy how we made it. Because I'm driving back to my apartment one night and I said, God, I just need you to help me. Right? I'm going to marry her. I'm in love with her. And this is what I heard the Lord say. Help you. Why don't you control yourself? And it changed my life. Because I was wanting God to work some magic and take away these feelings of desire. And the Lord's like, I'm not taking away those desirous feelings. I gave them to you. Control them, son. 
And so that's difficult. So, but the spirit, now here's where it gets interesting because the head gave us some gifts, but the spirit is producing a fruit. So two things are starting to happen. And then he gives the fruit and against such, there's no law. Now, dear brothers and sisters, this is the book of Corinthians 12 regarding your question about special abilities that the spirit gives us. So now we're understanding not only is the head giving us gifts. Now we're understanding that the spirit is also involved. He says, I don't want you to misunderstand this literally to be ignorant. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. And there are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord and God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. First Corinthians 12 verse eight, but our bodies have many parts and God has put each part just as he wants it. And this makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. Verse 26, if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, well, then all the parts are glad. And all of you together are Christ's body and each of you has a part to play. Now, how does the head govern the body? The five gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor's teacher. But how does the body govern itself? All right, here's how. The fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the services of the Spirit, the methods of the Spirit, and the parts of the Spirit, which is the body. So that God is going to place the headship gifts from Jesus over the entire body, but the only way these gifts are going to manifest is the Spirit is going to be working within the body. And they all five have to work together, just like these five have to work together to be complete and mature, then these five must work together. And by that, I mean, it's one, I think all of us would agree, it's one thing to sit here and proclaim you have a gift, but you don't have any fruit to back it up with. They have to work together, but this, this work of service, that there are, there are certain services that the way we serve each other, the talents that God gives us, that way, the way we begin to intertwine with each other, and then the methods. In other words, God has different ways that he gets his uh, body to work through different methods. And sometimes we just want him to do it one way, but how many of you know God's got all kind of ways? And it's when I say, well, it's just one way. And that's for you to fall out in the Holy Ghost. And I'm like, well, okay, but, but my mama got spirit-filled in a closet. Had never even heard anybody pray in tongues. So the methods of how God will work his spirit is different. And then whether we like this one or not is that uh, he does it through parts. He uses Davis and Elevenson and Garth and he, he uses Jason. He uses all of us so that every one of us in this room are part of helping the other person mature. I need you to help me grow up. You need me to help you grow up. And so in this, I've been given one of these gifts. I'll teach you the ones I think I have. I've been given this to, to be over this in a governing way. But I'll just pick one. Let's just say I'm a pastor. I, I'm a, I don't think I am, but I'm going to pick it because it's an easy one. If I pastor you and I call myself pastor, but I have terrible fruit, you'll lose honor for me. Or if I'm a pastor, but I don't have the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to be boring real quickly. Or if I'm a pastor, but I don't serve you in honor, you have to serve me. I rule over you. If I'm a pastor, but I don't allow God to use other gifts in the body, I will stifle you from growing up. You need to hear other methods of ministry than just me. And then I have to release the parts of the body to do their work. And most pastors don't want to release you because y'all are a threat to us. I need to squelch the parts, not release you. Not say, honey, you don't need my permission to go open your home and have a Bible study. You go, you go rip it up, let it go. So all of that has to work together. And it's when we pick one out or we leave another one out or we erase one that we start getting chaos and we, we quit being the glory of God.
Because with every one of these, I can pick bad things. With all of this, I can pick how the gifts have been abused. I can pick how we hurt each other. I can pick how some methods are just weird. I want to shy away from those things. So I have to learn if I'm going to be mature. And if you want to know, are you mature? Just look at this list and see if any of them irritate you or bother you or you're weak in one of the areas or you're having a problem submitting to someone to govern and speak into your life. Here's the final result of the class tonight. Jesus, as head of the church, governs the earth via the church. So he's the head of it and he governs it through it. Now the way he does that is gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, empowerments, those are the gifts of the spirit in Corinthians 12. Service, those are all the other things like administrations and we'll teach all of those what they are. But he does it through various methods. Like if my, my dad gets up here and ministers, it's totally different than me. My mother, Robin, we, we all just have a method within which God uses. So I've said this before, you know, my method is to try to connect you to God with humor, but at the same time in such a way that it challenges your noggin because I, I want to present the depth as well as the humor behind it. Well, not everybody's going to do that, humor or whatever. And then God uses all sorts of talented people to pull this off. And it's how it all works. And for the next four weeks before we end the class, we're just going to hang here. We're going to teach about these gifts. We're going to teach about what they are. How will they work in your life? How do they flow in your life? So by the time we conclude the class, we'll be able to be uh, ruling in God's kingdom well. So Father, thank you.